Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with your host, executive editor of Newsbusters, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome. We're refreshed and revitalized after a Wisconsin diet of cheese curds and bratwurst and even Parmesan walleye. I didn't know that was a thing. My boy Ben and his mom and I had a road trip and we wandered around to burger bars and modern castles and the Abraham Lincoln Museum in Springfield, Illinois. We did not drag Mrs. Graham to the Ronald Reagan Museum in Illinois. There's one near Peoria, not the one out in California. Or there's his birthplace and his boyhood home in Illinois. Those are on the route into Wisconsin, maybe on another vacation. My thanks to Curtis Houck, the Nittany Lion, and Nick Knight Train Fonda Carroll for ably filling in as I was out on vacation. We are celebrating this fall our 35th anniversary at the Media Research Center, and we're tiptoeing up to the big anniversary gala. This whole project at the MRC began during the Reagan presidency and was dedicated to defending Reagan from a liberal media establishment that trashed him even harder than they trashed more moderate Republicans over the years, like Richard Nixon or Gerald Ford and moderates like Howard Baker. See, you got to be a little old if I'm going to throw names like that. There's going to be a little bit of that in this one for you. This is for the younger people. You might not get everything. Uh, at the 1988 Republican convention, CBS turned to Roger Rosenblatt. At the time, he was editor of something called U.S. News and World Report. It was one of three news magazines at the time. Roger Rosenblatt later became a gassy essayist for the PBS NewsHour. And when I read this quote, you'll understand why. PBS, liberal sandbox with your tax dollars. Yes. They asked him his take on Reagan's presidency. And of course, this is the summer of 88. So the presidency is almost over. His verdict, I think it's a dangerous failure, at least in terms of programs. A mess in Central America, neglect of the poor, corruption in government, and the worst legacy of all, the budget deficit the impoverishment of our children. All of this was very much the DNC talking points of the day. Yes, it was a mess in Central America because we dared to challenge the commies in Nicaragua. This was in the wake of the Iran-Contra scandal. Uh, and we'll talk about that as we go ahead today. Now, the rest of this, neglect of the poor, Democrats always say that, with Republicans, corruption in government, ditto. And then the deficit spending, that always makes you giggle a little bit because, of course, the size of the deficits under Reagan compared to now is tiny. And I do recall one of the things we used to say back in the late 80s and early 90s, Reagan's last three deficits were, deficits were actually smaller than the way it was at the, at the start. But, of course, they hated tax cuts, so they were very urgently going to say, when they, when they were attacking the deficit, they were basically complaining that we didn't raise taxes like Walter Mondale wanted. So Reagan was a, was a dangerous failure. Oh, but Mikhail Gorbachev, yes, Mikhail Gorbachev just passed away. We had to dig out all of our uh, memories, 
all the liberal media valentines, they loved Mikhail Gorbachev. On May 26, 1988, NBC reporter John Cochran, who was over there in the in Eastern Europe, uh, found a Hungarian pop singer who was apparently, uh, I don't know, I don't have the video in front of me, whether he was proclaiming this or singing this. I'm going to guess it was kind of a song. It sounds like this. Oh, Mr. Gorbachev, you are so different from all the other boys. I think I'm falling in love with you. Clap your hands. Clap your hands, Gorbachev. Clap, 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 clap your hands. Now, this is probably different than the They Might Be Giants song written for the kids. Burp, 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 Clap your hands. Anyway, yes, I am falling in love with you, Gorbachev. I will give you AIDS. <laughs> okay, maybe AIDS, AIDS humor, not funny in the 1980s. I do recall back in this era when I was at the National Journalism Center and we were, I guess, in the 7-Eleven and some guy said, Saddam Hussein is an evil man. He has AIDS. <laughs> and that tickled us. So that became a quote, you know. We went over to get a fruit pie and then discussed sexually transmitted diseases and Saddam Hussein. Uh, anyway, you know, the love, I mean, this one was just ridiculous. I mean, they, again, it, it does remind one. Mr. Whitlock said this to me when I read it to him this morning. It sounded like, mm, 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 Barack Hussein Obama. You know, when they're in love with somebody, the songs come out on the so-called news programs. Now, if that was too much... There was Ted Turner's TBS, who in 1988 ran a ridiculous series called Portrait of the Soviet Union. It was so propagandistic and favorable to the Soviets that the Soviets aired it on Russian state TV. But I think they they edited it down a little. (laughs) This may be a little too much. Yes, the narrator was Roy Scheider from movies such as Jaws and his infamous line... Whoever wrote it was, once the Kremlin was the home of czars, today it belongs to the people. Well, (laughs) this was the sound of the coverage of the Soviet Union in the 1980s. Even as the the wall fell and the the communist parties were failing, uh, they were sad. They were honestly sad if you saw the coverage. It was sort of like... Well, Poland's going to hell now. <laughs> you know, I mean, they were they were really sad that the communist countries were becoming, you know, part of Western Europe or just part of Europe. Uh, CNN still in this same spirit yesterday. Phil Black proclaimed that uh, the fall of the Berlin Wall was... An iconic achievement of Gorbachev. Listen to this. This was another fundraising job, and it became one of Gorbachev's most famous images. The ad for designer luggage shows him pensively looking out at the remains of the Berlin Wall. Its destruction remains the most iconic achievement of Gorbachev's time in power, and a key reason why he was so respected by the international community. As if Ronald Reagan had nothing to do with the wall coming down. He literally went to the wall and said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. 
and he has nothing to do with it. I mean, this is one of those things where liberals are so annoying. Let's just drive this whole point again. When it came to the Cold War, liberals were on the wrong side of history. Liberals thought the Soviet Union would be would last for 100 or 200 or 300 years. It might last longer than the United States of America when you listen to liberals. And the thing we were always talking about was moral equivalence. Oh, the Soviet Union has, uh, you know, a, a freedom problem. Well, in America, we don't have a right to health care. You know, they, they would always tr- defend the Soviet Union by saying America was no big shakes either. That was the spirit. And so coverage of the Soviet Union was, uh, oh, Mr. Gorbachev. I mean, they, <laughs> they love this guy. Uh, Phil Black now went on to say that someday the Russians will appreciate Gorbachev as much as the liberal elites here do. So let's underline a point. Gorbachev at that time was trying to keep the Soviet Union together. He was not attempting to dissolve it. He was trying to quote unquote modernize it. Just let a little fraction of openness, a little fraction of free market forces in. Much like Look, the communists in China, apparently they succeeded. They're still, communists are still running China. They still have their concentration camps in China for troublesome Muslims like the Uyghurs. That's what, that was Gorbachev's vision, I think, was to create the next place for Xi Jinping. They wanted a Soviet Union that was just a little bit more open. And it didn't happen. It kind of fell apart. It was something you didn't mean for it to happen, but it happened. But they somehow turned all these unintended consequences into the stuff of heroism. He was man of the decade. Time magazine said he was a combination of the Soviet, no, the communist Pope and the Soviet Martin Luther. And all this time later, we still don't know what on earth they thought they were talking about. He was a global navigator. You know, these are the same media outlets, you know, the the same networks where Katie Couric came on the Today Show one day. She signed on with Reagan was an airhead. Yeah, this was going on under the, you know, the morning music. Reagan was an airhead today. Uh, This was a book that was written called Dutch by a guy named Edmund Morris. Um, who invented a character who uh, followed Reagan around. I don't know. Crappy book. You know, I don't want any fiction in my nonfiction. Sorry. I like chocolate and my peanut butter, but I don't want fiction in my nonfiction. But this was the, this is the, the contrast, was that the conservatives were always the dunderheads or the, the, the uber patriots, the dangerous make America great again people. And then there were, oh, there was the liberals, the the ones who went to Harvard, who understood the complexities of the world, who understood that perhaps one day we could all be a global socialist brotherhood. Reagan was just all wrong for that. He didn't understand the bold future we could all be entering hand in hand with very high taxes. This would be glorious. So, I mean, this... When when they said that Gorbachev had died, we were sort of like, well, here it comes, you know. Nora O'Donnell on CBS, first words out of her mouth. The breaking news tonight about Mikhail Gorbachev, the consequential world leader that took down the Iron Curtain. 
No, actually, the East Germans took down the Iron Curtain. He let it happen. You know, the hero who didn't shoot everybody trying to take the wall down. Well, how great of you. Now, you can, uh, you can argue consequential. That's, that's true. But the, it, it always, the hero always breaks in. So then came the, uh, the Valentine from Charlie Daga- Dagata. That's what it looks like. Dagata. Yes, Gorbachev was a revolutionary. He didn't look like a revolutionary or set out to be one, but Mikhail Sergeyevich Gorbachev changed the course of history. Born into a farming family in 1931 in what was then the Soviet Union, Gorbachev went to Moscow to study law, joined the Communist Party, and met and married Raisa. Together, they set out to change the face of communism. Before Gorbachev, Soviet leaders never ventured into the streets, let alone press the flesh. But in 1985, the youngest ever secretary general of the Communist Party swept the old ways aside. His twin policies of glasnost and perestroika opened the country up. Glasnost and perestroika. Those were the buzzwords. Everybody loved those. I came into Washington, D.C. in the fall of 1986 fresh from college, and within a year, by the fall of 1987, when the Media Research Center was being founded, I was an intern through the National Journalism Center for the uh, syndicated columnists Roland Evans and Robert Novak. They had a column in the Washington Post. They had several Evans and Novak newsletters and even an Evans and Novak weekend interview show on CNN. Yes, It's true. Two fairly conservative white guys hosting on CNN. Amazing. It was a different era. Now, most of my work then was was intern stuff. It was providing them with up-to-the-minute newspaper clippings. Oh, okay, maybe not up-to-the-minute because the newspapers didn't come out by the minute. It was a slower time. You know, when I started at the MRC in 1989, we did a monthly newsletter that was eight pages it was just a slower time. It was, the, I mean, technologically, you know, we'd have to record the news on video cassettes. Then we'd have to rewind, rewind six hours. What are we going to do while it rewinds? Uh, it was just, a, it was a different time. So anyway, very recent newspaper clippings that I'd have to go find. I would go down, actually downstairs to the Newsweek Washington Bureau sometimes. Tiptoe past Eleanor Clift. Uh, to get uh, up-to-date clips, make a copy. Uh, But Roland Evans sent me on one reporting trip there in the fall of 87 to the Soviet embassy. It was a press conference celebrating Gorbachev's book titled Perestroika. Now, it was probably composed by a a group of Soviet bureaucrats who knew English. Uh, But it was another occasion to laud the great Gorbachev. Uh, His publisher, Simon Bessie, was there. He was the impresario plugging this Soviet leader's tome. It just underlines for me in the memory is that Gorby had all these elites, the publishing elites in New York, the network TV guys, you know, all the Sovietologists. They all loved him. You know, the way that they would report things, again, the Soviet leaders, you know, from Brezhnev, to Andropov, they were always described as sophisticated men. Andropov 
had a taste for jazz, you know, this sort of thing. And a series of labor camps in the gulag, you know, I mean, they always tried to make them sound like, oh, they're so urbane. They are most unlike that bedtime for bonzo boob we had as a president. You know, they always had this whole trend. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. You know, Reagan was the enemy. The, Gor- the Soviets, the Gorbys, they were the enemy of their enemy. So they end up being, you know, the, the guys you kind of liked. You would get to know them. You would humanize them in a way that you would demonize the conservatives and humanize the Soviets. It sounds sick. And it was. Over on NBC Nightly News, there was Andrea Mitchell. And we know Andrea Mitchell can get gauzy in the obituary lane. We cannot forget when Edward Kennedy died. And she described the rainstorm at his funeral as the heavens opening up and crying. So we knew this was not going to be an objective event. Mikhail Gorbachev, the communist leader whose brief six-year reign transformed the map of Europe and the world. The first Soviet leader with a larger vision for his country and who was willing to hold a summit with Ronald Reagan, the American president who called the Soviet Union an evil empire. Little did Gorbachev know he would preside over the end of that empire. Years later saying, we could and should have saved the Soviet Union, but we lost politically. The two men clashed famously at their next meeting in Reykjavik, Iceland. But by December of 1987, partly through the influence of Nancy Reagan on her husband, they were at the White House, signing a treaty to reduce the threat of nuclear weapons. The same year, Gorbachev gave his first American television interview to NBC's Tom Brokaw. And by the next year, a return summit in Moscow. The two were walking arm in arm in Red Square. Oh, yes, don't forget, Gorbachev won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1990. Still described on the Nobel Prize website as an award for the leading role he played in the radical changes in East-West relations. Again, no award for Reagan. We don't do that. Uh, We could give a peace prize to a terrorist leader like Yasser Arafat. What kind of name is Yasser? Is that the opposite of no, sir? Yeah, Reagan doesn't get any respect. Well, we're not surprised. This is, you know, this is who they are. Um, but, you know, the, you remember the Nobel Peace Prize people? It's like in the early 2000s, it was like they just went and gave it to rep- Democrats in general. So, so then we had Jimmy Carter in 2002. Then Al Gore for his inconvenient truths in 2007. And then, of course, nobody forgets in 2009, they gave it to Barack Obama when he was in like month six of his presidency or something. Well, we just know we are clairvoyant. We just know he's going to be a peace, peaceful president. You know, he, he wasn't exactly. But, you know, that this is how much they were so excited that Obama was elected. That America was so progressive, they had a leader almost as progressive and towering and cosmopolitan as Mikhail Gorbachev. So Mitchell said Americans were charmed by Gorbachev, but as usual, this is basically the liberal media describing the American people as exactly like them in all of their creepy infatuations. 
Americans were charmed by this new kind of young Soviet leader with his ideas of glasnost and perestroika, openness and economic restructuring, and his very modern wife Raisa. But back home, his Kremlin colleagues tried to overturn him in a three-day coup and failed. Gorbachev returned from house arrest in Crimea to find Russian President Boris Yeltsin in charge and soon resigned. He said to avoid a bloody civil war in a country saturated with nuclear weapons. Mikhail Gorbachev, the man who changed the world but could not save his own country from falling apart. Oh, yes. Poor Gorbachev couldn't save his own country from falling apart. I mean, Russia didn't fall apart under Gorby in 1991, but the Soviet Union dissolved, and all of the nations they had gobbled up into their Warsaw Pact were liberated. The Baltic states, all of the Eastern European states, East Germany, you know, Poland, Czechoslovakia, Hungary, Romania, etc., including Ukraine. Now, you know everybody now on liberal Twitter's got their blue and yellow Ukraine flag. They did not do that in the 1980s. They didn't have a ton of sympathy for Ukraine when the Russians were dominating them for about 50 years. No, that's a new thing. That's a post-Trump thing. Um, You know, conservatives and anti-communists in general used to have something called Captive Nations Week when they would talk about these states that were gobbled up by the Soviets, like the Baltic states. And it was something the network news didn't celebrate Captive Nations Week. They had nothing to say about that. That was something, again, that was basically the preserve of crude, you know, red scare right wingers. Uh, The newspapers on Wednesday morning put Gorbachev on the front page about where you'd expect um, with their, you know, appreciations that were surely probably written 20 or 25 years ago. I mean, we had a, a package ready of hot biased Gorbachev-loving quotes that we posted uh, pretty quickly yesterday. Rich Noyes had done this I don't know how many years ago. Uh, You know, when somebody makes it into their 90s, you're going to have the package ready for a long time, in case you don't understand that. Sometimes an obituary has been done such a long time ago that the author of the obituary is dead before the figure of the obituary. Uh, So we had the New York Times... Right there on the front page, the headline was Reformist Soviet Leader Who Lifted the Iron Curtain. Yes, once again, he's solely responsible. Forget Reagan. Uh, Merrill and Berger gushed that Gorby's rise to power set in motion revolutionary changes that ended the Cold War that had threatened the world with nuclear annihilation. Yes. Nuclear war, the threat of global thermonuclear war, like in the movie War Games, Gorbachev put it all away. Only credit Gorbachev. No one else in history shall be credited with this except Gorbachev. Now, again, let's recall the spirit of detente, all right? If you grew up like some of us in the 70s and the 80s, you know, what you really wanted to reach with the Soviets was an understanding. You didn't want to be cranky and talk about their human rights that would be unhelpful what they wanted was diplomacy we wanted a series of arms control agreements and it didn't really matter how many people were oppressed behind the iron curtain liberals really didn't care okay for a modern analogy 
Consider Iran. We want to do an arms control agreement with Iran. You can't trust Iran as far as you can throw them, much like the Soviets. We're going to overlook whatever oppression's going on in Iran. You know, anybody whose hand gets cut off because they've violated some Islamic rule, that doesn't matter. All we know is the sophisticated people think we should be kissing up to the Iranians and giving things away. Because that's what Obama's and Biden's do. This was the spirit, not just of the, of the Democrats, but to some dis- degree, again, the moderate Republicans. Nixon and Ford, uh, you know, Ford didn't want to receive Solzhenitsyn at the White House. You know, Reagan really did do something different. He said in motion revolutionary changes the New York Times will not acknowledge because he was going to break from this. The Republican Party in the 70s had that same detente mentality that the Democrats did. We all remember being of a certain vintage pictures. I mean, we Reagan probably put them out. Pictures of Jimmy Carter kissing Leonid Brezhnev's cheek on his face. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, this was just the sort of thing, which was kissy-kissy with the Soviets. That, that was not cool. You know, we had a vision. Reagan had a vision, and that was liberty and democracy should be for everyone. We shouldn't try to say, oh, no, half the world under Soviet control doesn't deserve democracy. None of that gets remembered. Reagan isn't remembered that way if you're reading the New York Times. So the Washington Post at least had a color photo of Gorbachev standing next to Reagan. The New York Times had a photo of Gorbachev, you know, with his hands folded underneath his chin like he was oh so thoughtful in black and white. This one at least had Reagan and Gorbachev in color, which would suggest both men were historic, so we'll take it. The Washington Post headline, Soviet reformer oversaw crumbling of an empire. His bold risks helped thaw Cold War, dial back nuclear standoff. See, here again, heroic figure. Now, the byline here is David Huffman, or Hoffman, or Huffman, was one of their Moscow reporters back in those years. I know in the the early days of the MRC, when I was reading the Washington Post, David Huffman was there. David Remnick was there. And uh, uh, his obituary of Gorbachev at least did strike a few notes about the Soviet Union being mired in socialism and stultifying ideology. You know, like Bernie Sanders. Uh, He was described, Gorbachev, as a towering figure. Okay, again, you can say he's a towering figure. Not so much what some other people were saying. I think this was CNN. He was a towering international hero. You know, this is where you want to remind people. So, for example, if you came from Lithuania, you don't forget that under Gorbachev, they violently put down attempts to revolt. They killed teens of people. Now, you could say, oh, that's nothing compared to Stalin. Okay. Right? Stalin was, you know, the communists in the Soviet Union killed tens of millions of people. The Chinese communists under Mao Zedong killed tens of millions of people. And then we have yahoos on CNN comparing Trump and saying he's going to kill more people than Stalin and Hitler. That's not exactly historical. 
So ending communism, or at least ending Soviet communism, was a great thing. And they all want to give the credit to Gorbachev. Now, you know, the reality is Newsweek had this thing called Conventional Wisdom Watch back when Newsweek was an actual weekly magazine that was supposedly about news. You know, when you could get Time and Newsweek and U.S. News on the, on the stands, they had something called Conventional Wisdom Watch. And it was understood that the usually the guy penning that was Jonathan Alter. He was the guy who basically said that, you know, give Clinton a pass on the, uh, on the adultery. Grow up. You know, Lance Morrow also said that. Grow up. Same guy that said communist pope and Soviet Martin Luther. I think Lance Morrow has wised up over the decades. Jonathan Alter, not so sure. So we had one of these April Fool's notable quotables, and we, we created this thing about, with an up arrow for Gorbachev, giving him credit for crushing the, you know, the Baltic states. And then we were stunned that this actually happened. Then he actually put down this revolt in Lithuania. And Newsweek, and supposedly Jonathan Alter, gave him an up arrow. We kid you not. We put them side by side. And if this is where you say, what kind of sick people who now run around proclaiming about how they are the saviors of democracy were always so willing, so willing to tolerate centuries, if possible, of Soviet barbarism and expansionism. The people who called out Soviet barbarism and expansionism were the rubes and the boobs and the morons, those unsophisticated yahoos with their red scares. You know, it's the same mentality where they're still today mocking Joe McCarthy like there was no Soviet espionage inside the federal government, which we now can definitively state, we could definitively state it 25 years ago, the Soviets were involved in the federal government, starting with Alger Hiss, who they all claimed wasn't a spy. Wrong! Yes, in modern parlance, the liberal media were espionage deniers. But now they can tell us, oh yes, Gorbachev was the one that lifted the Iron Curtain. Don't give any credit to the anti-communists. <sighs> Never get your history from these people. Their first draft of history is wrong. Now here with Gorbachev, what is this, the second draft? I don't know if it's the second draft of history or the 20th draft. Still stinks. They get an F, okay? If you want to get the real story, just about how bad these people are when it, they come to trying to s- describe events both current and historical, you come to Newsbusters once, twice, 24 times a day. Thanks for listening.